BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hi, my name's Gabby. Tell me, have you ever had such a thing that you suddenly changed your tastes and preferences? Let's say you loved chocolate ice cream all your life, but once you tried pistachio and realized that now it's your favorite and you won't even look at another one? Recently, a situation occurred in my life, after which I seriously wondered if we really know ourselves and our preferences well. The thing is that I fell in love with my classmate, and it happened so suddenly and unexpectedly that I still can't believe it. It's worth starting this story from afar. In the first year of high school, we had a new guy, Steve. An ordinary guy, quite sociable, cheerful, smart. I wouldn't say that he's an unreal handsome man, but he is very charming and cute. During the first year, the girls ran after Steve and a crowd, trying to attract his attention in every possible way. They helped him with his studies and asked for help, put on beautiful dresses, invited him to go for a walk and to the movies. But Steve didn't react to their attempts in any way, communicating with absolutely everyone in the same way. I've never liked Steve. He was absolutely not my type. We rarely crossed paths in class. We had no mutual friends. A year later, the girls calmed down. A new guy appeared in the class, and they switched their attention to him. Steve, however, seemed to have exhaled and began to go to school parties and general hangouts more calmly. By the way, he didn't choose a girl, which greatly upset all the applicants. In the new year, I chose Chinese as an extra course. None of my friends supported me, so I was worried that I would be alone in an unfamiliar environment. But when I came to the first lesson, I suddenly found Steve there. He waved at me, inviting me to sit together. I gladly agreed. So we started communicating more. I wouldn't say that we became friends, but at lunch, we would sit together and chat about something. A year ago, all the local beauties would have declared war on me for such behavior, but now everything was fine. Six months later, I noticed that Steve began to pay more attention to me than was required. He accompanied me home if our classes ended at the same time, gave me some small but pleasant gifts, and always treated me to something during lunch. I knew that he probably liked me, but I still didn't like him, so I didn't give him any hope. Every time I stopped his attempts to ask me out on a date, but soon Steve became more insistent. First, he confessed. One day, during a break, we were doing Chinese homework together, sitting in the school park. Suddenly, Steve awkwardly took my hand and said that he had liked me for a long time, from the moment he first saw me. Steve didn't know how to get closer to me, 
and at the beginning of the year, he accidentally saw that I had chosen Chinese as an extra course, so he also signed up. Steve was glad that we became friends, but he didn't want to be just friends. Of course, like any girl, I was pleased with his attention and recognition, but I couldn't reciprocate. By the way, at that time, I had never had a relationship, and I didn't plan to start one. All the guys around me didn't seem cool enough to date. Steve was very upset by my refusal. Apparently, he was setting himself up for a positive answer because even after I told him that we could only be friends, Steve asked me to take my time and think about everything carefully again. And then my personal hell began. I would never have thought that the usually calm and adequate Steve could behave so inadequately. He texted and called me at any time of the day or night, showered me with gifts, came to my house to wait for me and find out where and with whom I go, even somehow met my mother. At school, he also didn't give me a pass. He always tried to sit closer, arranged it so that we turned out to be project partners, threw notes with confessions into my locker. I'm not talking about school parties where Steve followed me around, saying that he was protecting me from the other guys. But in fact, he simply didn't allow me to meet and communicate with anyone. In general, Steve became my headache and I didn't know how to get rid of him. And then one day, one of my good friends, Robert, suggested that I pretend at school that we were dating. His plan was simple. Steve would see that I preferred another guy to him and leave me alone. For me, it was a chance to get rid of an obsessive fan, so I agreed. The next day, Robert and I came to school holding hands tightly. You should have seen Steve's face. He seemed to have turned pale and red at the same time. In a conversation with classmates, Robert and I loudly announced that we were dating, and the one for whom this little performance was intended heard us. During the break, Steve came up to me and said that I had made a big mistake by choosing Robert over him and that I would definitely regret it. The meaning of his words only reached me in the evening when Robert called me and told me that he was in the hospital. As it turned out, when he was walking home, he was attacked by a group of unknown guys. They severely beat him, saying that he wrongly took something and it would be better for him to return it. It wasn't difficult to guess that they were talking about me. Of course, Steve denied his involvement, saying that he spent the previous evening at home and that this can be confirmed by all members of his family. It was impossible to prove that those guys had beaten Robert at his request. I suggested ending our fake relationship as it could be dangerous for him, but Robert refused, as he was convinced from personal experience that Steve would go to any measures to achieve his goal. I admit, I even had a certain phobia. It always seemed to me that Steve was watching me. Wherever I went, I could feel his eyes on me. I was afraid that at any moment he might kidnap me or attack me. Stupid, of course, but the incident with Robert really scared me. When Robert was beaten up again a month later, I couldn't stand it and said that we would no longer pretend to be a couple. His life and health are more important to me. This time, Robert agreed, but promised to protect me in case of anything. In general, all my friends, seeing the situation I was in, sincerely sympathized with me. They tried to always be there and not to leave me alone, so that this psycho couldn't get to me. One day, when I had a break and was sad, my classmate Tina came up to me. We always communicated well, but we weren't particularly close. 
she said that she had heard from her friend about my torment with Steve and about the fact that a relationship with another guy didn't stop him, but she had an idea that might help. The fact that even strangers are worried about me made me smile, and I decided to listen to Tina's idea, which turned out to be very unexpected, but perhaps it might work. Anyway, Tina suggested that I pretend that I'm dating her. Can you imagine? According to the girl, Steve should be repelled by the fact that I am no longer interested in guys. After all, this means that he definitely has no chance. This idea was, of course, questionable. I told Tina about the attacks on Robert, but she was sure that Steve wasn't so crazy to attack a girl. I really wanted to believe it. I was so desperate that I agreed to Tina's proposal. Of course, this shocked everyone at school. Still a gay couple who doesn't hide their relationship. But Steve just laughed when he met us in the hallway. He openly told me that he would never believe that I had suddenly switched sides and now liked girls. To which Tina, standing next to me, laughed out loud and then quickly kissed me on the cheek. And then she told Steve that he would have to accept defeat because she wouldn't let her girlfriend be offended. Even for me, her statement came as a surprise. But I must say that she pretended better than Robert because at school the truth never left my side. By the way, I liked spending time together. We found a lot of common interests and topics for conversation. And even after school, we didn't break up, but we went to the movies together, to cafes, just for a walk. There was a feeling that I really had a relationship and one that completely suited me. Tina was very attentive, caring, supportive. She would always cheer me up or make me laugh. We became very close. And I couldn't even imagine that it was possible to find a person who would be so perfect for me. I didn't notice how much I got carried away with a game with Tina and fell in love with her for real. It wasn't easy to admit this to myself, but after a month of a fake relationship with Tina, I realized why I didn't like any guy before and they all seemed somehow different to me. Speaking of guys, Steve believed in my relationship game with Tina. For the first couple of weeks, he still laughed and said that I was behaving stupidly. But watching us, he noticed that my girlfriend and I were inseparable and spent all our free time together at school and beyond. Steve came up to me and said that now he understood the reason why I always refused him. Tina was glad that everything worked out for us, and it seemed it was already possible to stop our game. But neither she nor I stopped. Now... I'm trying to find the courage to admit to Tina that I'm in love with her. I don't know how my friend will react, and I'm very afraid of losing her because my confession could ruin everything. Would you admit it if you were me? Maybe Tina's offer to help me was a manifestation of sympathy for me, and I hope you liked my story. Bye, everyone! It's very easy to go from a model daughter to a traitor to your own family especially if you're offered crazy money for it. Hi, my name is Lizzie, and I became incredibly rich in the blink of an eye. My story began when I was six years old. I remember waking up in the middle of the night because of a noise. It came out of the room and I saw that the lights on the first floor were on. As I got closer to the stairs, I noticed dad. He held the flashlight in one hand and opened the basement door with the other. Finally, the lock gave way. Dad went inside and closed the door. I wondered what he was doing there at night. I went down the stairs. 
and she had already gone to the door and was about to grab the handle to turn it. But at that very moment, the door creaked open, and Dad appeared in front of me. He asked irritably, Liz, what are you doing here? I wonder where you went. Oh, it's a big secret. Shh. Then he took me in his arms. Now it's time for bed. He carried me to my bedroom. I looked at the secret room and wondered what he was hiding there. Twelve years had passed since then, and I'd forgotten all about the secret room in the basement. We lived like a normal family. We didn't eat caviar for breakfast, but we didn't eat leftovers either. I, like all high school students who were about to graduate, thought about going to university. That wasn't the case with my twin brother. Tommy had already failed all his exams and might not even dream of getting in. I woke up that day and immediately went down to the kitchen. There, my parents and my brother were already waiting for me and a birthday cake with 18 candles. Yes, it was my and Tommy's birthday. We blew out the candles together. Dad raised his glass and then turned to Tommy. You're 18 now, son. So today, I'm going to tell you our family secret. That's when I couldn't stand it and intervened. What about me? I want to know what you keep in that basement too. Dad's face changed. Unfortunately, no, baby. This secret is passed from father to son. My father told it to me, and his father told it to him, and my father's father told it to his father, and my father's father's father. I got it. I interrupted him. Everyone looked at me with surprise. My father took my hand and said sympathetically, It was the will of my ancestors. Then he and his brother left. The ancestors willed it? What's that supposed to mean anyway? My mother, seeing the anger and indignation on my face, said, I was angry at first too, but then realized that family harmony was more important to me and I put it out of my mind. But I want to know! So unfair! I grabbed my backpack and went out for a walk. On my way to the park, I saw a store that sold paint. That's when I had a genius idea. I knew that Daddy and Tommy were going down to the basement that night. So I hid behind the wall late that night, waiting for them. Soon I heard their cautious footsteps. Dad came to the door and started typing in the password, poking the buttons. Yes, he had replaced the regular lock with a keypad a few years ago. The door beeped softly and opened. Tommy and Dad disappeared into the basement. The door closed behind them. I went to the code lock. I took a small flashlight out of my pocket and it shined on the panel. It was no ordinary flashlight, but an ultraviolet one. It was the only way to see the colorless fluorescent paint with which I had pre-treated the buttons of the code lock. In the beam of the flashlight, I saw the numbers where my father had pressed no longer had paint on them. By simple calculation, I realized that the password was the date of the wedding with my mother. It was both cute and naive. I entered the password and voila, the door opened. I stepped inside, walking slowly down the stairs. Downstairs, the voices of my father and brother rang out. I hurried to hide behind the pile of bags. Dad turned on the presentation and started showing slide after slide. The slide showed a picture of a knight with his body covering a king from an arrow. Dad said loudly, And so, after saving King Richard from the arrow, the Brave Knight was awarded the nickname Brave. Tommy wondered, Wait, but our last name is Brave. So he's... Exactly. That's our ancestor, Sir Charles Brave. 
Dad walked over to some ancient chest and opened the lid. Then with a deft movement, he drew from it a sword and raised it above his head like a He-Man. This beautiful sword was made of pure gold. It literally sparkled, illuminating the whole room. And now, according to his covenant, I give you this sword to keep. And then? Then you will give it to your son when he turns 18. Tommy carefully took the sword and gently stroked the blade. After admiring it, his brother put it in the chest. Dad and Tommy headed for the exit. After waiting a few more minutes, I left the basement too. Now that I know the secret, I could sleep soundly. The next day, when I barely opened my eyes, I saw Tommy in my room. He said with a sneer, You know what I found out yesterday? That you're using your brain at 2%? Laugh it up, laugh it up, but you can't learn the family secret. It's for men only. I threw a pillow at him. Get out of my room! His mockery was just the beginning. He'd been telling me all day about this super secret that I didn't deserve to know. I was sick of it, so I decided to punish my brother. At night, I went down to the basement. I opened the drawer, wrapped the sword in a towel, and took it to my room. I thought I'd hide it for a few days and see how Tommy reacts. I looked at the sword. It was gorgeous. I wonder how much something like that could cost. I tried to find something similar on the internet, but to no avail. Before I knew it, I was asleep with a sword in my arms. In the morning, I pretended to be sick and stayed in my room. After waiting for everyone to leave, I wrapped the sword again and went to the nearest pawn shop. Behind the counter stood an elderly man, the owner of the pawn shop. What do you want? He asked. I unfolded the towel, showing him the relic. How much could it be worth? T -t -t like this? The man began to stammer. He pulled himself together and answered. It costs $15,000. I can buy it right now. It's strange, but on the internet, I saw the price of $30 million. I said that amount at random, but the man bit his lip. I'm willing to give you $20 million. I almost fainted when I heard that. I'd have enough to pay my way through college. My parents would buy me a bigger house and car. And I'll buy Tommy a soccer ball. He's been wanting one for a long time. I was dreaming so much. I didn't notice the pawn shop owner came back with a full bag of money and some papers. He pointed his finger at the contract and said, Sign here. Keep in mind that the deal is not retroactive. Eh? You can't get the sword back. I honestly didn't know what I was doing. The money turned my head. As if in a dream, I signed right across from the pawn owner's signature. And then I watched mesmerized as the machine counted my millions. Trrr. One million one hundred thousand. Trrr. One million two hundred thousand. I don't even remember how I got home with the money. It's as if I wasn't doing it at all, but someone was controlling me. I only woke up in front of the bathroom mirror. I stared at my reflection for a long time. Tears crawled down my cheeks. What had I done? Daddy and Tommy are gonna kill me. I have to get the sword back somehow. Then my cell phone rang. Elizabeth Brave? It's the admissions office from the university. I'm, I'm, I'm listening. If you want to study with us, you need to make a down payment of $30,000 within three days. I answered in an uncertain voice. I will transfer the whole amount today. 
I hung up the phone and immediately dove under the bed where I hid the money. I took out my bag and started counting out the necessary amount. Suddenly, the door creaked open. I turned around and saw the frozen figure of my brother. Where'd you get so much money? He asked. I told you to knock. Tommy stood still for a few seconds. Then he cried out sharply, Oh no! Tommy ran downstairs to the basement. I raked the money into my backpack without counting and ran out of the house. I ran until I saw the bank door. When I got inside, I ran up to the teller and emptied everything out of my backpack. I want to transfer the entire amount to the university account. I asked the teller to hurry up. But as luck would have it, I was caught by the slowest employee. As soon as the transaction was successfully completed, a car came to a halt under the window. My father burst into the bank. He jabbed his finger at me and shouted, Elizabeth Brave, get in the car immediately. I obeyed his order. I obediently got in the car. There was Tommy sitting there, his eyes blank. Tommy had failed my father and I had failed the whole family. I thought my father would scold me on the way home, but the ride was completely silent, which made it all the more frightening. We stopped at the house. When I went inside, I saw my mother. There was a bag of money on the table in front of her. How could you? She whispered, bursting into tears. Dad and Tommy were asking me the same thing. They told me the story of the brave knight and how that sword had been guarded by generations of braves. I was scolded and I knew I was wrong. I roared at the impossibility of making it right. Suddenly, a loud knock on the door interrupted my father's monologue about the family heirloom. Dad went to the door and opened it. Standing on the doorstep was the very owner of the pawn shop. Behind him were two policemen. Suddenly, the man drew the sword he was hiding behind his back, pointed at me and shouted, You cheat! She was the one who stole from me! Arrest her! My whole family went into a stupor, waiting for the situation to develop. I shouted back, I didn't cheat! It was an honest transaction! Fair! You sold me a fake! Look at the sword! Papa snatched the sword from the man's hands. The sword was no longer golden and gleaming. It was the dark copper color. The man said, This sword is fake, covered in gold. It can't be. My father gave it to me. Daddy exclaimed, I made inquiries. It was your father who sold it. Dad fell to his knees, dropping the sword from his hands. All my life I've kept a fake, he whispered. I want my money back or I'll put everybody in jail. One of the policemen came toward me. He was holding handcuffs in his hands, getting ready to fasten them on me. I shouted, Stop! He examined the goods and signed the contract, which is not retroactive. I handed the sheet to the policeman. He read the contract carefully, then showed it to the man and asked, Sir, is this your signature at the bottom? Yes, but it doesn't change anything. I ask you to leave the property, sir. You're breaking the law. What? No, you don't understand. The man shouted. He wanted to grab the bag, but the police officers immediately detained him. They handcuffed him and escorted him out of our house. One of the police officers said to my daddy one last time, Sir, you have to register the income and pay the tax. Yes, yes, of course, said my distraught father. Dad sat down on the couch and stared at the money on the table. Clutching his head, 
He tried to rethink his whole life. There was a dead silence in the room. I think I got into university, I said, smiling awkwardly. Everyone looked at me in surprise. That's the story. By the way, in a couple of days, Dad recovered from his shock and soon will move to a new house. I also convinced my father to go with my mother to the islands. He could use a break. Does your family have any secrets? Write in the comments if you've managed to find out any family secrets. Rate your likes and subscribe to the channel. Hi guys, I'm Rachel, but you can just call me Ray. My story is about how our family came to live on an island. And we lived there all alone, we thought. It all started on a normal Friday night. My dad had a family meeting. In the living room, my parents, me, and my dim-witted brother, Jack, Dad proudly declared, I've worked hard and finally saved the right amount for my dream. My brother asked, how much did it add up to? $300 million. Dad proudly replied. We all whistled in amazement. Well, I should tell you that my dad had started his own stationery company when he was young, working and saving all his life. So when I realized where he was going, I exclaimed, please don't tell me you bought it after all. My father interrupted my pathetic cry. I bought an island and we're moving. No! I was only 16 years old. And you must understand, I had my life all set up. School, friends, a boyfriend I was secretly in love with. I didn't want to change anything. So when dad sent us packing, I protested. But mom reassured me a little. Ray, it's summer. We'll live there for a bit. You'll love it. Mom, that's ridiculous. What island? But it's Daddy's dream. He cares about us. Give him a chance. I puffed up like that spiny fish, showing my displeasure, but still went to my room to pack my bags. In the morning, our whole family was on the pier, waiting for the boat. Instead of a beautiful yacht, came a cargo ship. All of us climbed aboard. Dad walked past the huge containers and narrated, This is where we keep our groceries. I only took the ones that don't spoil quickly. He pointed to the next one. Here are the building materials. That's when my dumb brother decided to get involved. He pointed to the largest container and yelled, And this is where all of Rachel's clothes are, right? Dad and my brother laughed. At that moment, I felt the ship move. It took us two whole days to get to the island. By the way, it turned out that my brother Jack gets seasick. So I had fun watching him suffer. So what? He makes fun of me. Well, finally, we made it. Huge containers were stacked right on the shore. And a little further away, my Robinson daddy decided to set up a camp. All day long, we were setting up bungalows. And at some point, I got so bored, I said, I'm going for a walk around the island. Daddy wanted to say something to me, but Mom said I needed to be alone. In fact, I wanted to call my friend Shelly and complain to her. I wandered around the island looking for a place where I could get a signal, but no luck. And then I saw the highest mountain. As I mustered my strength, I decided to climb it. It wasn't easy, and I crawled on all fours for the last hundred meters. After catching my breath, I took out my phone but there was still no signal. I rushed around the mountaintop, but all in vain. We were cut off from the outside world. 
Suddenly, I stepped on something soft and hot. I jerked my foot away sharply. There were embers from a fire, and it seemed as if it was still burning not long ago. An extraordinary thought crossed my mind. If someone made a fire, then we're not alone here after all. And at the same moment, I heard some rustling in the bushes. I screamed like a lunatic. I rushed off this mountain. I didn't stop until I got to camp. My mother met me at our camp. What happened? After such a marathon, I could barely get it out. There's someone else on the island. Dad and my brother just laughed. Dad said, of course there are, rodents and birds, but no one besides them. Dad didn't even want to listen to me, which made me very angry. Soon it got dark, and after dinner, we all went to bed, but we didn't get much sleep. I was awakened by a rustling noise. I decided to check it out. I didn't want to wake up my family. Well, they wouldn't believe me anyway. I switched on the flashlight on my phone and went to explore. The sound was coming from the shore, from where the containers with our things were. As I got closer, I saw that one of the doors was open. I took a rock and threw it inside. There was a loud, ouch! After that, someone's shadow ran out of the container. I could have sworn it was a human. It ran into the bushes. I rushed after it. But as I was making my way through the bushes, I lost the thief. Now I knew for sure we were not alone. After closing the container, I headed back to camp. In the morning, I told my brother what had happened during the night. You must have seen a monkey, he answered. The only monkey here is you. Oh, you probably crawled in there yourself last night to get something to eat. Ah, shut up and help me catch the thief. All right, there's nothing else to do here anyway, my brother agreed. I took a stick and scribbled a drawing of a trap in the sand. We spent the evening making it, and when we were done, we high-fived each other. Jack proudly declared, Here, now when the thief opens the door, the net will shoot at him and we'll get him. Then my brother and I hid in the bushes and waited. Well, truth be told, Jack fell asleep very quickly, leaving me alone on guard duty. Suddenly, I saw the same figure creep up to the container door. He opened the door, hiding behind it like a shield. The net shot out and fell to the ground. The thief, as if nothing had happened, made his way inside, like he knew about the trap. I yelled loudly to frighten the thief, and then I rushed towards him. The burglar, however, tripped me. I stumbled and flew inside the box. I tried to get out, but he slammed the door. The goddamn thief outplayed me and wiped me out. I started pounding on the door, hoping someone would hear me. And it worked. A minute later, the door was opened by my satisfied brother. I shouted, what are you so happy about? We missed him. You missed him. I didn't. There was a thief lying in the sand, tangled in the net. My brother managed to catch him. We got closer. The thief started growling and kicking. When we got a closer look, we realized that it was a girl, and she was our age. Jack said, We got a savage! You're a savage! Get me out of here! shouted the thief. We were shocked that she could talk. All right, but promise me you won't run away, I said. The girl reluctantly nodded. Freeing herself from the net, she shook herself off and said, I'm Erica. How did you end up on the island? Jack asked. Erica sighed and told us her story. Erica's father wanted to send her to study in Switzerland, but the girl didn't want to. 
She stole her father's sailboat to punish him, but she got caught in a storm. The girl fell overboard and lost consciousness, and then she woke up on the island. That was three months ago, maybe more, Erica added. Jack and I both whistled. But why didn't you come to us in the first place? What if you're slave traders or cannibals? She added, I want to go home. When are you sailing off? Tomorrow? The day after tomorrow? But my brother intervened. But we're not planning to leave. My father bought this island. What? But I thought... Erica cried. She turned around and ran into the jungle. My brother wanted to chase after her, but I stopped him. In the morning, we told our parents everything. Mom was silent, and Dad started laughing again. But to everyone's surprise, Erica walked into the bungalow. Dad was abruptly silent. Erica asked in a commanding voice, A ship with provisions ought to be coming to you. When? Father answered confusedly, At the end of the summer. Erica was upset, and she sat down next to us. She snatched the chocolate from Jack's hands and swallowed it whole. Jack didn't like that and called Erica a slob. The girl, of course, was offended. So she went to the beach. I decided to talk to her. Erica was, after all, surviving on the island on her own. She's a girl from a rich family. She is probably struggling here. In the sunlight, I was able to get a better look at Erica. She did look like a savage. That's when I realized I knew what could cheer any girl up. I ran back to my room and got a little backpack. And then I handed it to her. Erica was surprised and opened the bag. When she saw what was inside, her eyes lit up with happiness. She shouted, Real shampoo and cream, even makeup. Yes, this is my gift to you. She hugged me so hard that my bones cracked. After getting the backpack, Erica ran off into the jungle again. She didn't show up until the evening. My brother was eating soup when she came in. Erica looked gorgeous. Long, silky hair, makeup. Jack even dropped his plate of hot soup in astonishment. My brother jumped up and started pacing around the bungalow. After making sure he was all right, we all shared a good laugh. Jack was no longer rude to our guest. He spent the whole evening wooing her and trying to give her something to eat. He seemed to have a crush on her. But Erica didn't reciprocate my brother's feelings. She still remembered how Jack had insulted her. The summer was coming to an end, and Dad was starting to get tired. He admitted that his idea of living on the island was quite silly. Now we were all counting down the days together when the ship would arrive. One day, Erica was teaching Jack and me how to fish. Jack asked the girl, So, how do you throw a spear properly? Erica giggled and said to me, Ray, will you show him? I swung and threw the spear in my brother's direction. The spear landed right next to his leg. The guy yelled, Are you sick? Were you trying to kill me? I grabbed the spear and pulled it out of the water. There was a fish fluttering on the tip of the spear. I missed because I was aiming for you, I told Jack with a sneer. Suddenly, Erica pointed her hand somewhere in the distance and yelled, The ship! Ship! We turned around. There was a ship heading towards the island. The three of us ran to warn our parents. A few hours later, we were already loading our belongings on board. Of course, it was Erica who was the happiest of all. She kept rushing us. Come on, what are you doing? Hurry up! We were all ready for twilight. Erica and I stood on the deck and admired the stars. But it was Jack who spoiled the moment. 
he got seasick again and dumped everything he'd eaten at dinner overboard. Well, this time I felt a little sorry for him. Two days later, we were already in port. A black limousine was also parked there. A man who looked a lot like the rich man from Monopoly got out of it. Erica ran toward him. They hugged each other. It was her father. Don't ever run away from me again, he said with tears in his eyes. Not unless you send me to another country, Erica answered, also with tears in her eyes. I promise. Erica and her dad got into the limo and the car took off. Now tears were running down my cheeks. She left without even saying goodbye. But the limo turned around. Erica jumped out of it and hugged each of us, even Jack. To me, she said, Did you really think I was going to leave like this? And she hugged me tight again. She handed me a card with a number on it. Call me. Let's go to the movies this weekend, said my new friend. I'll definitely call, I smiled. Can I come with you? asked Jack. We'll think about it, Erica and I said at the same time. Anyway, it ended well. Erica mended her relationship with her father, our dad went back to business, and I met my best friend. How did you meet your best friend? Write it in the comments. Like this video and make sure you subscribe to the channel. Bye! I later found out the full picture of what really happened. It turned out that Mike and Dean had a bet. Mike claimed that all the rumors about me were just fabrications, that I didn't really have any supernatural powers. That's nonsense, Mike said. She probably made it up herself, so no one would pick on her. Okay, let's assume that, Dean answered. Then let's do this. You sneak up on her and touch her arm. Mike tensed up a little. Though he was skeptical, he didn't want to test the rumors on himself. However, the conversation was taking place in the presence of other boys, so the challenge had to be accepted. Okay, I'll do it, Mike muttered uncertainly. Dean smiled wryly. And finally, I show up in this story. It happened at recess. I was getting the books I needed out of my locker when I felt someone touch my arm, just below my shoulder. I flinched in surprise. See, nothing happened, Mike said to the crowd of onlookers. He took a few steps away from me before he slipped and landed on the floor. Hi, my name is Kim, and I'm used to these things. Another non-believer became a victim of his own arrogance, and then paid the ultimate price. Tragedy and comedy. It's all your fault! It's all you! Shouted Mike to Dean, lying on a medical stretcher with a brace around his neck. Dean shrugged guiltily, as if to say, I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> Here's what happened. About 10 minutes before it happened, the cleaning lady was mopping the floors, and she put up a sign in the hallway that said, Caution, wet floor. But for some unknown reason, the sign disappeared. And Mike, thinking that destiny had no power over him, paid for this delusion with a broken neck. <laughs> Poor guy, I thought. That must have hurt. As Mike was being taken by paramedics to the hospital, Dean still couldn't calm down. Did you see him collapse? <laughs> Hilarious! Everyone around me laughed quietly. I went straight to Dean. The guys, seeing me coming, quickly took off, leaving Dean alone. He tried to act all manly, but there was tension and nervousness in his voice. He was clearly uncomfortable standing next to me. Ah, Miss Misfortune, he chuckled. Do you think it's funny? Your friend broke his neck, and you're not even ashamed. It wasn't my fault. 
I told him to expect trouble if you touched Kim, but he didn't believe me, and that was the result. I wanted to give him a good slap in the face, but I decided to do something different. Anyway, it's your fault. A victim of a science experiment. Oh yeah? <laughs> well then, watch out. Before Dean knew what was happening, I grabbed his arm. The guy froze and didn't move at first, and then, when he realized what had just happened, he let out a wild scream. Ah! No, not again! Why did you do that? Now I'm screwed! Nothing. Just don't cross the road and don't walk under any windows so nothing will fall on your head. And you better stay away from the dogs. Panic overtook Dean. He looked around in panic, waiting for something awful to happen. The Miss Misfortune effect worked differently every time. Sometimes it could take a while. Dean tried to figure out what to do, and he decided he had to run. Forgetting all about the classes, he ran out into the street and disappeared. I went back to my chemistry class. The curse. That's what I called my ability. The starting point of my misfortunes was my sixth birthday. I don't know what exactly happened then. Maybe it was the magnetic waves or the radioactive substances in the cake. But the following day, the first incident occurred. I hugged Dad as usual, and he, five minutes later, fell down the stairs, nearly breaking everything. Then the curse reached Mom. A hairdryer caught fire right in her hands and burned part of her hair. Thankfully, the flames didn't damage her skin. After a series of mutilations and troubles, my parents realized it wasn't an accident. It was me. It was hard to live without my mother's and father's touch, as if I was in an orphanage. The same story continued at school. I was more careful now, aware of the power within me, but it was impossible to avoid being touched forever. So after a few unpleasant incidents, I was nicknamed Miss Misfortune. Now everyone knew to stay away from me. I accepted my fate and the fact that I would die alone, like in a Charles Dickens novel, surrounded by spiders and cats. One good thing about all this was that no bully ever dared to hurt me. But on the other hand, I never had a boyfriend, because everyone knew how it could end. I didn't believe in miracles, right up until Liam showed up. His parents moved to our town, and he started going to the same school I went to. I don't know how to describe it. I guess I just fell in love. The very first day, as soon as he walked into class, Liam was looking around for an empty seat, and the teacher said he could sit next to me. I flared up and turned red as a tomato. My classmates started whispering, Oh, poor kid gets to sit with Miss Misfortune. We won't see him again. It didn't bother me much. I tried not to look at Liam at the time and pretended I didn't care. They could have Johnny Depp sitting next to me. I couldn't care less. Liam sat down, turned toward me, and held out his hand. I'm Liam. What's your name? I didn't shake it, just looked at the guy sideways. I'm Kim. Cool, he said, and turned back to the board. I rarely saw Liam, mostly in biology and math class, sometimes in the cafeteria. Each time I blushed and could barely get out a high, Liam would smile broadly and ask me how I was doing. I thought he'd figure out what was wrong with me. Rumors about me were spreading all over the school. So, for instance, everyone immediately thought I was getting back at Dean. Remember when I touched him as payback for him deciding to make fun of Mike? Dean ran home from school and locked himself in his room. His parents tried to get in, but he wouldn't open the door. 
just screamed that it was the end of him. Dean's parents freaked out and finally broke down the door. The kid was sitting in the corner with his chin on his knees, racking back and forth, mumbling something quietly. Diagnosis? A nervous breakdown. Yes, sometimes my ability doesn't work literally, but Liam thought all this talk about me was just school gossip. I mean, people say odd things about others. I was glad he didn't believe what they were saying. But on the other hand, I was afraid it might end in tragedy. The situation became more complicated when Liam asked me out one day. I wanted to say no, but I just couldn't. He was the first guy who'd ever shown any interest in me. I should have told him the truth, that he was in danger, but I didn't say anything. In the evening, we went to the amusement park. I took every precaution I could. I wore a sweatshirt with long sleeves. I even put my mother's gloves on my hands. I looked ridiculous and weird. Are your hands cold? Liam asked me as soon as I left the house. Yeah, I answered, trying to avoid the subject. My aunt is the same way. She wears gloves all the time. I smiled stupidly and we walked to the park. Surprisingly, we had a great time. Riding the wheel, Liam won a teddy bear in a throwing contest and gave it to me. I struggled to carry the huge toy around with both hands. It kept slipping out of my hands. Without the gloves, which were noticeably too big for me, it would have been much more comfortable. I had to risk it. Liam saw that I was about to drop the bear. He decided to pick it up and carry it himself. <sighs> and that's when he touched my hand. I dropped the bear and said, I'm sorry, I ruined it. Tears came to my eyes. What's the matter? Liam was clueless. I didn't want to see anyone else get hurt because of me. So without another word, I ran away. Liam wanted to catch up with me, but I'd already disappeared into the crowd. The next day, I found out that he was taken away by an ambulance that night. Turns out he got a severe food poisoning. It was the third victim of my curse this month. Like Dean, I locked myself in my room and didn't come out for a long time. Maybe I should never be around people at all, I thought, trying to somehow figure myself out. But for my parents, there was only one excuse for not going to school, death. So even though I felt terrible, I had to go to class. I was always treated with suspicion, but this time the level of paranoia was off the charts. No one came within a few meters of me. Moreover, I noticed some tension even in the behavior of the teachers. I found out later that Mike and Dean were responsible for the boycott. Maybe it wasn't nice what I did to Dean, but I didn't want to hurt Mike. I guess that's how the hurt effect works. No one wanted to figure anything out. I was, by default, the case of every misfortune that happened under the roof of that goddamn school. Dad tried to reassure me. Honey, don't pay any attention to them. Yes, my mother said. Children are so cruel. I knew they were cruel, but what am I supposed to do? They didn't have an answer to that question. As usual, I was left alone with my own curse. Sometimes it seemed to me that there were witches in our bloodline, and this was the punishment for terrorizing people in some small town. But I'm not a witch. I can't turn people into toads. I don't make magic potions. I'm just an ordinary girl who, for some unknown reason, has a very unusual ability. Liam was released from the hospital a week later. I was dreading seeing him. What would he say? Would he break up with me? Of course he would. There was not a single positive thought in my head at the time. How could he stay with me after that first date? 
What would have happened if we became a couple? What if he would kiss me? It's scary to even imagine. They might as well launch me into space to keep me away from all the people I could hurt. I ran into Liam in the hallway. He came up to me with a smile that never left his face and said, Hey, our first date didn't end very well. Maybe we could try again. I couldn't believe my ears. And you're not afraid that one day a brick might fall on your head? No, why should I be? Then, to my surprise, he took my hand and walked me to class. I expected the worst, but nothing happened to Liam that day, or the next day. My curse was gone, just like in the fairy tale of Beauty and the Beast. All I had to do was wait for a man who would truly love me. It took me a long time to get used to the fact that I could hug my mother. I could hold Liam's hand as I walked. True love really can do anything. What would you do if every time you touched someone, it brought them bad luck? Write your answers in the comments, like the video, and share it with your friends. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc